Welcome to Arts Roll Call, a podcast showcasing artists and arts organizations talking about the role of the arts today in Greater Lansing. I'm Robin Miner Swartz. I'm an editor, communications consultant, and an arts advocate. And today I am talking with my friend Chad Swan Badrow, who is the Arts Education Program Manager for the Michigan Council for Arts and Cultural Affairs. Chad is also the founder and artistic director of Peppermint Creek Theater Company and co-artistic director of the Renegade Theater Festival. He is slightly obsessed with DIY home renovation projects, cooking, and his endlessly adorable 15-month-old son, Sawyer. Chad, it is so good to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for asking. I'm excited about the dedicated time to talk to you, Robin. I know. I Which was I like, this is work time. This is great. <laughs> I know. I love these overlaps. Yes, it's it's a lovely thing. I love That always happens in Lansing, and that's one of the things I love about it. Mm -hmm. Well, let's start with you telling us a little bit about your history with the Arts Council and how you and Peppermint Creek are connected now. Yes, yeah, so I um, I did a term of service with AmeriCorps for two years when I was transitioning from my work as an educator. I had taught K through 12 as well as at the college level uh, at LCC. And I was feeling like I wanted to get more involved in uh, community service and community revitalization. And um, so I I pivoted and worked with AmeriCorps for two years um, at the at, in the um, Old Town region at the Old Town Commercial Association. And when that time was coming to an end, I was sort of saying goodbye to the, the folks in Old Town and the Arts Council of Lansing was one of them. And I had obviously been aware of the Arts Council. Um, they had sort of assisted me over the years uh, with little and large things with Peppermint Creek. Um, and I stopped in to say goodbye. And uh, the executive director at the time asked what I was what I was planning on doing next. And I said, I don't have any idea other than I know that I don't really want to go back into the classroom. I really have loved being more directly engaged and involved in the community. And so I'm I'm hoping to get more involved in that way. And I said, and I sort of I think it sort of slipped out. I was like, I'd like to do sort of what you guys are doing. And she, I like to believe, I, she didn't say this out loud, but I like to believe that in her head, she went, that's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> and then and then the next day they called and they said, we have, uh, we're, we created a new position for a community, uh, a communications director or, or person. And so, and I asked if I wanted to apply for it. And I, I like didn't even think, I typically am like pretty, uh, pretty methodical as far as my my thought process and major life decisions. And I just like was like, yep, yep, I would love it. I didn't I didn't even care how much it was paying. So I was at I was at the Arts Council for about two years uh, in that, that communications role, which was really valuable as far as um, and then I and then after two years and I transitioned to the position that I'm at now at the State Arts Council. And it was a really wonderful, logical sort of stepwise progression to go from a sort of tri-county view of our state and the arts that we offered locally, which is something that I kind of was aware of already with my involvement with Peppermint Creek, but it, it really sort of deepened that understanding and broadened sort of my view of artists um, in our region. And then to then go to a statewide perspective of the arts, um, was really a really valuable step. So that was sort of how I was deeply embedded in the work that the Arts Council does, did, does. And then uh, obviously as an Arts Council member uh, for Peppermint Creek, as well as um, the Renegade Festival, we've, we have a 
nice relationship. So, well, and it sounds like it really grew nicely into your next role for work. So, how did what you did with the Arts Council inform and enhance and help with what you're doing now at the state level? Yeah, I, I, it is the. I believe it's the only reason I got the job I had today, which is my dream job. I want to do this job till I retire. And so I, um, but I don't think I would have gotten the job that I have now if I hadn't worked at the local arts council level. Because, you know, I when I went in for the position at the state, I, I never had a dream of like working for the state. I've always worked in education or the arts, but I never really sort of imagined I would work at the state, like for, a, for the state of Michigan. Uh, it seems sort of like very like robotic to that from like what I typically work at. Uh, and so, but I was this weird and I just didn't even believe I would get it. But then looking back, I think I was just like this weird sort of amalgamation of all of the pieces at this position that I particularly do calls for, which was, you know, education work and community development work and um, and the art and arts work, but then specifically having worked at a local arts council absolutely informed right. uh, sort of my view of working for the state arts council. So I think it was integral. It's probably one of the only reasons I got the job. Well, and you've worked on both sides of that fence, both yeah. as somebody who has needed services and support from those organizations and now somebody who is able to provide that to organizations. Yeah, and I, I think that it's, um, you know, it's certainly been, my whole life, I think, has been a balance of how do I do the work that I'm doing during the day, whether that is as an educator when I was in the schools or at the college, and then now from an art, both arts councils jobs, how do I balance that work and then the work that I do with a nonprofit arts organization with the theater? Um, because it, even though Peppermint Creek is not my job job, and then I get paid, I don't get paid for it, but it's sometimes, as anyone that works in a nonprofit knows, it sometimes is like feels like a full time job, mm -hmm. and so always balancing those two those two priorities has been probably like my life's work, and by that I mean like my life's challenge. Because mm -hmm. how do you and and anyone that wears new, multiple hats, I think knows like how how can you give a hundred percent of your energy and your focus and your passion to to one thing and to another thing. When they like when they overlap, especially or if they're or if they're different. So I think that I'm constantly sort of learning that that balance and and, and they certainly inform each other, I think, in really great ways, because I understand so many of our grantees for MCACA are are um, are small nonprofit arts organizations, just like Peppermint Creek. And so I completely understand the sort of the sort of framework and that they're working with. Um, and then also needing to sort of not be specifically focused on one arts organization and know that we're serving the entire state is, is what you have to keep doing with like your head. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, so your work and life are revolving around theater and arts and culture, but also advocacy, as you said, is woven into all of those things. Mm -hmm. Why is advocacy important to organizations like yours and like the Arts Council? Because the world does not appreciate the arts in the way they Amen. should. That's why. And you know, like we, I am a, well, no, I was going to say I'm a terrible advocate. I'm not a terrible advocate. It's not in my nature to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And I think in, in, in its core advocacy is about asking for help or asking for support for the work that you do. Um, but you know, our, like my entire life, the, the life of the arts, I don't know how broad we want to go, but um, it's always, I don't think that the arts are valued or seen as integral to sort of our 
our everyday lives as they really are. So an interesting sort of reflection for me has always been working at the at the at MCACA, we're housed under the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, and they they um, produce the uh, Michigan Travel Guide, the Pure Michigan Travel Guide, right? And it's always so striking to me that despite the fact that we don't really talk to the economic development folks a lot um, in regards to what we do, I don't know why we just don't. We're in the same building, mm-hmm. but. Um, but every time that magazine comes out, every every season, like at least 70 to 75% of the organizations and the events that they highlight about how to like live a great life in Michigan all revolve around arts and culture. So when we're talking about economic development, when we talk about living a full and dynamic life, it always, it always kind of comes down to our experiences with arts and culture. And yet we always treat it when we're talking from a from a legislative perspective or a funding perspective, we always treat it as if it's frosting or it's like extra that can be cut out. And I mean, that's like an age old tune, right? But I, so I'm, I'm always, that's like the work, right? Of advocacy is sort of figuring out what is the way in which to make everyone, but particularly legislators who decide funding, uh, understand the sort of integral part of the arts in our lives. So it's a huge yeah. thing. Well, I, I, I think you really nailed it, that people just almost assume that it always happens and is taken mm-hmm. care of and it's always there. And like, oh, tickets must fund all of these things. So therefore, we don't need to promote it. It, it just keeps going. Um, but no, that advocacy is so key. And I think when we all think about what we promote about our region and what we love about our region. Obviously, those of us who are arts advocates and love the arts are predisposed to talking about that to begin with, but Mm -hmm. ask anyone from wherever they're from and granted, they will talk about some of the very common local attractions that they love, but there's always arts woven into that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think something that I'm I'm really proud of about the work that, or well, proud, but I would also say that has been most interesting in our work in the last two or three years at, at MCACA has been, um, we're working with a public will building campaign that talks about, that it's with a com- an organization that also worked to um, eradicate smoking in restaurants. Um, and so, well, and not even that wasn't, it wasn't about just, eradicating smoking, but sort of like helping the general larger public understand the health crisis that is smoking. Well, so, and and so with working with them, it's been all about how do we actually more effectively talk about what people value in their lives. So really talking and, and narrowing down people's values. And when, when you, when you can speak in that language, people, people, it shifts people's mindset. Uh, in a different way than just sort of like always like advocate like the theater is so amazing go to the theater and mm-hmm. and when you start to talk about what we can learn from the theater what we can learn from music and dance and and visual arts um and and how that can tap into our core values um it's it's been interesting to learn that sort of psychology i guess behind how to talk to people in a more effective way mm-hmm Well, and I think that's even shifted now into the way we are all interacting with each other and the world in in these past few months uh, in light of the pandemic. And so Mm -hmm. over the past several months, we've seen that things have changed significantly for arts and culture, where Mm -hmm. theaters have been forced to close. Um, We've we've had to shift how we interact with any kind of arts and entertainment uh, Mm -hmm. in a virtual space. What has this been like for you and the rest of the theater community you interact with around Michigan? Michigan and locally in Lansing? Well, I think that um, 
I am a very precise, specific person to talk to about this because I am generally an eternal optimist. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that's not to say that like I didn't have a valley that was this late this summer when it just felt like every every time we tried to plan something, it would then get scrapped and oh my God, this is like going longer than we expected and it's scrapped. And so I certainly went through like a gloom and doom day and a half. But um, but I think that, so I, I think to your immediate question, I think that a lot of the theater community um, locally, at least, and, and this seems to be the case both across the state and beyond, is there's a, just a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of fear about, particularly about how we support artists that live and work in the theater. Mm -hmm. um, so that's not as much of the case in local Lansing, but certainly as an industry. Uh, how, how do people that make their living, and that's like, the on stage and off and behind the scenes there's so i mean uh, i heard an interesting fact that like the people that are employed in the arts particularly in the theater and that went to the theater just in new york city like like was four times the amount that go to like the mets and then like, all these other sports things it's really insane mm -hmm. but um so i think that there's a lot of fear and nervousness uh which i think is mirrored by the the um the nation mm -hmm. um i think that there is but there's also i think a lot of um there's a lot of ultimate hope about the fact the sort of long-term uh, resilience of theater as an art form and that theater has under has powered through pandemics and um, and plagues and and huge and huge huge chunks of time when they've gone dormant for a long time and they always come back I mean if theater is really about telling stories about our shared experiences and in our lives then we will always have that impulse and we will always have that um, that need and that desire uh, and so however long this particular pandemic goes um, whether it, it's done in the spring or it's for another four years, God forbid. Um, I know, right? I shouldn't even like put that energy out there. Oh, but um, but I, there, that theater will still be necessary when we come out of it. Um, but I think that, so I think those two things exist, sort of the fear and the, the um, ultimate hope. Um, I think locally as a, as a Lansing community, we're all feeling like, well, I don't want to speak on behalf of everyone. I, I feel like what I'm observing is that we are, we would have been, we would have, our season would have been underway by now. All of our Lansing theaters mm -hmm. would have been underway and we would have been going, we would have had our seasons planned and we would have been building teams and, um, and putting out, you know, brochures, et cetera. And all that would have been rolling and, and that we've, we've been severely paused. And I think that we're all trying to figure out what, it, so from a Peppermint Creek perspective, what do audiences actually want to see? What can they sustain? Do they want to sit in front of a uh, computer anymore at all in their free time? That's not work. Um, and then like going back, like how can we actually still in this weird time still address our mission? I mean, we are really fortunate that I, I, over the years, and this is our 18th season as a nonprofit, like we, we have always been really anchored by our mission. And so that has, and in this time, that's sort of what has, for me as an artistic director, has certainly kept me going and, and focused is, well, you know, while it's going to lack that traditional sense of like proscenium stage, audience sitting all together right here, um, it, but yet our mission can still be like served in a lot of different means and capacities. So, um, so for me, ultimately, as an artistic director for my own theater, I'm like hugely... Uh, excited and um, thrilled that our mission still 
even more so almost feels even more necessary in this time. So I want to take a point of privilege because I remember seeing one of your very first shows at, mm -hmm. with Peppermint Creek and mm -hmm. you were still in high school, right? Uh -huh. When you yeah. formed this theater troupe uh -huh. and it was you and Spencer and you were doing something, a two man show with a lot of characters. Uh, mm -hmm. You had borrowed the Boar's Head stage, as I recall. Yeah. When you think back on that time, did, could you picture you'd be sitting 18 years later talking about the mission statement for the organization and the role of the arts in the community? And, and like, what did you imagine when you were a teenager starting a theater group? I, yes, I would have wanted to believe that this would still be happening. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a, um, I, I was always coming out of a place of like, just like, utter geeky passion for the theater. And so mm -hmm. that, and that remains true. Um, I think that I, I would have been thrilled that we had, would have lasted this long um, mm -hmm. and that we would have sustained an audience this long. Um, so in, in to that part of it, I'm thrilled. And I, and I would have believed that that was the case. I believed mm -hmm. in the work that we were doing. Um, and then on the other side of it, what was true then is still true like in its kernel like right now, which is there is like so much more that I I want to still accomplish, mm -hmm. which I, I think artistically is like a really, is an enviable place to be because I'm certainly not bored, right? Yeah. So I'm not like, we did this already. And you know, and so, um, and so I, I think that maybe like if, I probably would have believed that I had more, I would have had more infrastructure in place right now. Like I would have believed that we had like a location that was ours and we would have had a more robust sort of like volunteer uh, support system. But, but I think that existence, our existence and that I, I really still believe that like our, our mission has like really like has been woven so deeply into all the work that we do. And I think that each new season we get, better at honing in on that mission. Um, so yeah, I, I would be like, huzzah. I would have been like thrilled to know that. And I, and I believed, I believe in our mission. I think I'm getting um, what I, to, to your comment about like, uh, actually when you said point of privilege, like I've been like getting better at, I've been trying to get better at understanding what our position of privilege is in our community and mm -hmm. like how we can use that place as a voice to sort of lift up other voices that maybe aren't as privileged as as ours or or new uh, voices so that's something that i feel like we're still constantly working at mm -hmm. well you've talked a lot about the mission of peppermint creek but i don't think we i've asked you exactly what it is can you talk about that for a minute Yes, I can. It's a, uh, it is to address current issues and create dialogue through the work that we're in essence through the work that we're producing. And so mm -hmm. that at the beginning really was about, um, I just really wanted to be doing new plays. I didn't want to be doing like, you know, even though like there's so much value in Annie and, uh, sure. and Oklahoma, I think that, uh, I really wanted to be doing new work that just hadn't been done locally. Mm -hmm. Um, and that sort of was where the kernel of that sort of current issues came from. Um, but as as we've grown, as, we, as we've developed, the idea of exploring what does it mean, what does it mean to like consider our what a current issue is, whether that be like locally mm -hmm. or nationally and or both. Um, and what it, and 
what does it mean to create dialogue? So like, what, for example, uh, at the beginning of Peppermint Creek, I believed that creating dialogue was like sort of solely focused on having a talk back after the show. And that was sort of how to like immediately engage people in a discussion of what they just saw on stage. Um, and, you know, and that's that has certainly evolved and developed over time. I, you know, in the last few seasons, we, I've read a lot about nationally how talkbacks um, aren't as effective or how people don't really want to be engaged in it, how audiences don't want to be engaged in a talkback. And so really kind of evaluating in new ways or, or trying to consider what does what does creating dialogue actually mean? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that's great. Well, in your history of all of the jobs you've had in, in theater, both behind the scenes and on stage, I'm sure you've had to think on your feet a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Can you do you have a story that you like to go to about something that went wrong uh, in a live show and a way that you navigated through that or you helped other people navigate through it to have that, you know, the show must go on kind of quality to it? Yes. And there's two that come to mind. I'm not going to tell the sad one, but I'll tell okay. you the funny one um, that uh, so we were uh, it was our first musical in the space that we were in at the middle Miller Performing Arts Center uh, on the south side of Lansing. And it was our first musical that that we had produced in that space. And every show that season we had sort of like, no, it wasn't our first musical. I forget why it was anyway. So um, and so we were <laughs> we were the, it was opening night and it was cold outside and so it was like obviously in the must have been in the winter and and so we had because we needed so much space for the show it was the show with the musical in the heights mm. and um uh and we needed so much space in the actual theater that we decided and to try to contain the musicians we moved the musicians to what was typically right behind the stage in a different room uh which was our dressing room so there's like 12 musicians packed into this tiny room and we always were having issues with um with power in that building like we could never figure out like why are we blowing lights like this is a this used to be a community center why is there no power and um and so we were always like maxing out on power okay so opening night we didn't know but one of the musicians had brought a uh, a space heater oh, no. with her <laughs> And it was sitting next to her, like, because it was cold and it was an old building and the heat was shitty. And so, um, and so, like, I, so, you know, the show's starting, we have a packed audience and um, the actors are getting ready. And I, like, give the speech, the welcoming speech, and then I go up to the back. There's, like, no path logically to, like, get behind the scenes to, like, you have to, like, everyone could see anyone that was going anywhere two notes into the opening of the show is like da, da, and all the power blew all no. of the power and we're like what's going on why can't you hear anything and you could sort of hear them playing acoustically in the back room <laughs> and and then we realized that we had blown this power so you know in the theater you're always trying to create this illusion whereas everything goes smoothly and it goes exactly mm. as you've rehearsed and you never want to try to break that sort of fourth wall where like you're then talking or stopping the show it's like I can't, I could list on like my hand the number of times I've actually had to stop a show. Less mm -hmm. than five, I think. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> and so I had to, we had to stop. I had to like get up and say, thank you everyone. And give some like awkward speech to explain like, hi, I know like you think we'd have our power under control. And we had to stop everything. And we had to then move the entire, all of the pieces of the orchestra 
into the room because we had blown all this power and we didn't know what was going on. We moved them into the rooms. They're sitting next to the audience. And then they played acoustically because we couldn't mic them or we couldn't like amp them. And you know what though? Like, so like all kind of disaster, wonderfully disastrous experiences, it, it like proved to, it had the, the, that show had like this electricity about it because the audience was like, this is live theater. Like <laughs> no other audience is going to have experienced this crazy situation that happened. So that, yeah, that was a perfect example of like how when something like went wrong and we just had to like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're just like moving you all into the room. And <laughs> what do you mean? So, and it went great. I mean, the show was great. I love that show. So. Oh, it's a fantastic show. And we'll get yeah. the movie sometime next year is my understanding. Yes. Too. Thank goodness. I can't yes. wait. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> well, in, in the, the spirit of improvisation and things that are surprising, um, I have been asked to surprise you with the James Lipton questions that oh. he traditionally does at the end of every interview. <laughs> so normally the mm -hmm. actors who get to do these see them ahead of time and they can think about their answers. So okay. this is going to be a little off the cuff for you, but okay, I'm ready. What, what's your favorite word? Uh, am I, is this like a timer where I have to like, no, it's, I mean, it's not, no. <laughs> okay. Um, I would say chai. If you say okay. chai to me, I'm on board. <laughs> what's I'm your favorite sword. word? <laughs> Phlegm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cosine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um, I, I'm a sucker for um, spectacle. So, like, you know, mm -hmm. if even in ancient uh, theater Greek times, if, like, spectacle was one of the things that you needed for, like, a good theater experience, I'm a sucker for spectacle. And though we are a small, small, like, theater company when it comes to like what we can actually produce and what we have the budget to produce, man, the shows that really stick out to me are the ones that like, they were just like going all out on spectacle. So like the end of act one for wicked, when she flies the first time we went to like Iceland and saw this production at the national theater of Iceland that we couldn't understand anything that they were saying, but we still went and like the, the, the curtains opened and it was this, the set was so enormous and it was already rotating. And I was like, I will for, I mean, we, it wasn't like three seconds in and I was like, this is the most amazing show I've ever seen. What is happening? <laughs> so like, you know, I, I'm a sucker for spectacle and that really, that tends to be what lights like a fire under me in regards to just like thinking about what, what can, what is feasible and realistic and what is feasible and possible on stage. Mm -hmm. So yeah. That's, that's, I like that. What turns you off? Um, Lately, I've been really, uh, I don't know if turn, turns me off is the right way to phrase it, but I've, I've really been, my heart has very much been in how can we do, and, I, and I'll, I think this is true of theater across the country, but I, I'll make it personal as far as Peppermint Creek. How can we be more um, diverse and how can we, how can we show more more voices and better diversity and inclusion on our stages and give voice to people um, that don't typically, that aren't typically heard. Um, I don't know if that necessarily, it doesn't turn me off, but it's where I see a lot of work for us to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite curse word? Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't even, right now it's just shit because I, I mean, I was raised in a very, like, we did not swear in our family. My husband often calls me Pollyanna. Why do you got to be such a Pollyanna? Like, mm 
you know, but right now because of our, our our son is 16 months old and he picks up on everything, he's like a little sponge. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the number of times when like I've never thought about saying shit because I just I'm like that's like not even a bad thing. But the number of times when he's like, Chad, watch your language, <laughs> and I mean, and I just totally dismiss it because I was like, he's only 16, but. but it, so right now I feel like that is the word that must be coming out of my mouth a lot because I keep getting like hand slapped. <laughs> this is not a big deal, but I'm just like, right. I'm, I, I probably am like 85% Pollyanna. So <laughs> that's as good. That's as bad as it gets for me. So it's an all purpose word. It works well. Yeah. <laughs> what, what would you say? <laughs> um, I shit is a really great go-to, but honestly, motherfucker is just yeah. a really great word. Right. And it's got a, you know, it's got a punch to it. It does. It absolutely does. What sound or noise do you love? Well, lately it's been my son's laughing. So like mm-hmm. he's he's like we have just, we've been discovering his sort of tickle, his tickle spots. And you know, he cries. He cries. And like I'm always like, why are you crying all the time? But so maybe that's what heightens the fact that like his laughter and his it's so like gut level laughter is like really lovely and so wonderful it's so wonderful to think that like well whatever else i'm doing wrong as a parent like he's laughing so (laughs) you know that's great what sound or noise do you hate um i hate gosh oh okay so um no i don't what sound do I hate? I am such a like this. You're you're finding out, Robin. I don't really traffic and hate very often. <laughs> I know um, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so terrible. What do I? What do I hate? What sound do I hate? Sorry, I'm gonna pass because like I know we're at, like we're gonna talk. That's forever. cool. That's cool. So, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, I would. I have thought about being in some sort of political office. Mm-hmm. because I feel a real desire to like make the world a better place. And I am I, even more lately hyper aware of how like it's only by getting involved, like stop bitching and just like do the work. Um, so, but I, I think that I probably, that might kill my sense of humanity if I had to get involved in politics. So I don't think that actually, I got as far as being an election official and then I was as far as I could go. I've often thought about when I retire, I would like to run a, bakery bookshop Ooh. bakery coffee coffee bookshop we'll see i mean that's just like a random down the road i mean like i said i am like i love my job right now like advocating for the arts yeah. and, and working at the state um so but those are like yeah those are like oh i also would uh if i had the tools i would absolutely be a woodworker i would mm. so i am really intrigued and like passionate about like home like working with your hands with wood and like creating things from wood i i wish i had more of the right tools because that would i would absolutely be there with woodworking what profession would you absolutely not want to attempt well you know i like i said i would never want to be a politician i even though i said that i kind of want to be in it i would never (laughs) want to do it i think that like i feel like we have to compromise so much of ourselves to like try to like make the broadest number of people happy and you know and ironically um to say never want to do i i just wouldn't i i've been out of the classroom it's so bizarre because i i advocate for for teachers and artists but i i think that teachers are the least appreciated and uh and and funded the least funded and the uh you know 
in our society. And I think they're doing the work of, they're doing the most important work in our world, creating like educating our next generations. And I, and now having been out of it as long as I have and still having so many people that I love in my life, my sister and, and so many of my close friends that are teachers themselves and hearing what they, what they grapple with every day, I, I just would not want to do it anymore. I don't mm -hmm. think that they're appreciated. And I think that that, I, I worry about the ways that we sap our teachers like joy and, and passion for what they actually are teaching by the ways that we mistreat and mishandle teachers. Mm -hmm. Beautifully said. Well, the last one is if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, I, I hope that he says that I did the best I could. You know, I, I think that, I think with the theater and certainly with the work that I do during the day and then now, especially um, as a husband and dad, like there's a lot of doubt, you know, there's a lot of doubt that I did that I that I like left the world a better place or that I created another human that was kind and um, and good. And and I worry about that. I worry about like wanting to leave the world better. And so that's I certainly would like really just hope that that God would know that I <laughs> that I tried that I tried the heart as hard as I could. And then I and then I worked to make myself better and I didn't just mm -hmm. sort of stop at some point trying to be a better person. So that's what I would hope. Bravo. Mm. <laughs> Good job with those and no prep. <laughs> Thanks. God, what 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 sound do I hate? That's what I'm taking away from today's meeting. It's like what what would I have said? I'll have to think about it. Well maybe, maybe that changes now in the whole work from home scenario. You're hearing different things outside your house or in your house or who knows. Maybe. Yeah. I love right now. I'm loving, I love, we love our house so much. So I love being in our house. So yeah. I haven't reached that yet, but it might be yeah. <laughs> maybe next season you interview me, but right. Right. <laughs> well, Chad, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for what thank you do you. for the arts community, both locally and statewide. Um, you definitely have been in it for the long haul. And uh, as a fan of the arts and as somebody who loves this community, I know I'm appreciative of what you do. So thank, oh, you. thank you. Thank you. And thank you to you and the arts council for um, the ways that you support artists in our community. I mean, we only, we only, uh, survive and thrive when we all sort of can champion. And I know what a champion you are for the arts. So thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for, for tuning in today. This podcast has been a production of the Arts Council of Greater Lansing. To learn more about them, go to lansingarts.org.